Training Trainers to the Tips for Treats Dog Training Podcast. I'm your host, Stuart Weininger, a CPD TKA that is going to help you along your training journey by diving into some of the learning theory and strategies that I and other pet professionals use to help people and their pups all over Houston. Whether you are an impending dog owner, looking to mix up your existing training routine, or just want to know more about what it's like to work with dogs, there's something here for you. As a follow-up to the anxiety episode, I have gotten a lot of questions uh, between then and now about how exactly am I actually action upon some of the information I provided in that last episode, right? Uh, We talked about how there could be different sources of anxiety in those different situations and how we might be able to do something different in order to help address the root cause of the anxiety rather than uh, trying to address the symptoms. But how do I actually go about addressing the root cause, right? Uh, So that's what I wanted to talk about on this week's episode. Listing out and identifying a few of those different sources of anxiety and then actually going through how I might collect some information confront those different potential triggers individually and you know the different ways and drills that we might practice uh, in order to help desensitize them and maybe recondition them to those different things as a broad recap of potential sources of anxiety right Uh, people dogs people and dogs in and around the home environment Uh, the car types of surfaces um, flooring things like that different sounds Uh, specific places, uh, and probably yourself as a handler. Um, All potential sources of anxiety depending on the context and the situation. Obviously, there's some overlap in a couple of these, and so we'll probably hit certain aspects of them broadly. Uh, But getting right into it, people, right? So let's say, for example, if just people in general, whether it's in the home, whether it's out in public, out on the street, it's a source of anxiety and I can tell that because the dog is fearful or reactive when people approach or give too much attention or maybe even from the extent that it's it's so far developed that they are proactively reacting out of fear anytime they notice a person that they feel could maybe encroach upon their safety. That to me says that this dog is very untrusting of people It may not have very good social skills and is confused by the different ways people might convey their body language and how they might try and interact with the dog. And the dog may have specific experiences or a a learned habit that was bore out of maybe an instance or two where they were very fearful of a person, that person crossed a line and they reacted fearfully. And now it's at a point where people are now a source of anxiety because of those few times um, where the person crossed the line and the dog, you know, didn't enjoy that. And just like it might with a person, we've now gotten to a point where it's not going to be a repeated situation. Uh, Every time a person comes, the thought is going to be that why would this person not do exactly what that worst person did uh, that one time? And so what I have to do in that situation is 
is first i have to manage the dog's interaction with people right so if it's in the home i'm gonna make sure the dog's not interacting with a lot of people uh whether it's strangers like you know people working on the house plumbers things of that nature or if it's friends and family members that the dog maybe doesn't necessarily enjoy interacting with i'm gonna manage the dog's uh, interaction with those people and I make sure those people don't force their interaction on that dog so that way I'm not creating a situation where those those same feelings those same habits can come out and just have another opportunity to be reinforced by these people potentially crossing that line and the dog being justified and being fearful of this person who's not understanding their their body cues that they're uncomfortable next when I feel like I have a an appropriate opportunity, whether it's a good volunteer, um, one of these workers that is doing work that's maybe a little bit quieter or calmer. And so uh, it gives me a chance to maybe go be near them with the dog. Um, or if I have a good family member or a friend that I know can follow instructions and do all the right things, uh, that that's another good opportunity to where I have a potential trigger that I'm in control of. So whether it's how close I get or how close um, I allow them to get, I know that I have control over those variables. We'll never push the dog too far. And now when I say too far, I'm keeping in mind the dog's threshold at which they will start to feel so uncomfortable that we get those behaviors that we would obviously not want to see. Any growling, barking, anything like that. Um, we are probably going to see some uncomfortable body language in this time. The idea is that we are introducing them into something, um, into a situation that is uncomfortable, is aversive. But the idea is we want to do it constructively and with as much control as possible so that we're doing it in a way that helps them get over those, those fears rather than flooding them with it, which we've already mentioned flooding in the past where if we get to that point, they may completely tip over and not necessarily to say they can't come back, but with within that situation, within that context, they may be too far gone to learn something and come away with anything constructive in that situation. So we've got our good volunteer. We've got the dog. There's going to be some distance at which the dog will obviously be aware that the volunteer is here but not so close that they feel the need to fixate and already start to react, right? Um, hopefully that, me that means that we've got room across the house. Let's say for example, a plumber's working on the kitchen uh, sink. You know, maybe I'm in the living room, uh, maybe I'm around the corner. You know, I start where we, we're not necessarily looking at the other person. Um, we maybe break line of sight to begin with. But whatever distance I feel like I can be from that potential trigger where the dog will willingly take treats, whether that's just their dog food or if it's something really high value that will steal their attention away from whatever they're trying to fixate on. I'm going to use something like that. Uh, I can also use their favorite toys, right? I can use some of our favorite activities and games like food puzzles, lick mats, sniffle mats, those kinds of things. Uh, those are great distractions where my goal is to pretty much just take the dog's mind off of that thing that's obviously making them uncomfortable, but at a distance where 
they feel comfortable enough that they might be able to do some of these other alternatives rather than do the same thing that they've always done in that situation, uh, which for a lot of dogs is bark or pull towards or anything. Um, I'll probably do this with the dog on the leash so that way I'm limiting the dog's ability to go and you know engage in that same behavior I don't like and reinforce it without me being able to completely redirect them right and that's an important management strategy there where if I am trying to commit them to doing something else if the other option is just freely on the table it's very easy for them to just run over to that stranger, start barking and start having the same flooded situation or take off to the other side of the house and be barking or barking in a crate, any of those other easy alternatives, right? The idea is that I'm selling them on an option uh, that I like while also limiting their ability to engage in that option I don't like. I'm also gonna be mindful of how I use the leash. I don't wanna be uh, too aversive with the leash. So I'm not gonna be doing any tugging or anything like that. I'll likely just have it attached to me or I'll be stepping on it so that it's simply giving them a radius away from me. Uh, that's not gonna give them too much of an opportunity to engage in that other behavior. And then the idea is that I'll be there to incentivize that alternative action, which in this example is gonna be any of those early examples. Take a treat from me, take some, uh, you know food or treats off the ground let's play with the sniffle mat let's play with this food puzzle let's play with your favorite toy let's just do anything else besides sit here and fixate on the idea that this this stranger is in the house or this person's right there um and if i'm doing this where i'm out of line of sight i may slowly progress to where the dog is now able to see that other person um but I also have to imagine that now, now knowing that the dog can see the person, whatever that person does is now going to be a potential trigger. Uh, and so, you know, how much I have to sell the dog on engaging with me or their activity versus that person could be a sliding scale depending on what activity the stranger is doing. Again, then I may work up closer and closer to where we're doing our activity closer and closer to that person as long as I feel like the dog is comfortable at each stage. If I ever feel like I get too close and the dog loses its focus on me um, or their activity, then we're going to move back and further away. The idea is that I want to go through this whole situation ideally without the dog having a reaction. But if we do have a reaction, it's as short as possible and we back up away, right? Uh, whether that reaction's barking or whining or incessant, you know, pulling or something like that, the idea is that I want all of those kinds of actions to last as short as possible and all the way up to maybe I have to walk all the way back out of line of sight so that we can reset, bring out a new activity and try again, right? Uh, but then when I feel like we're not having any success, I'm going to call quits to that drill, right? That person's going to leave. I'm going to then maybe place the dog away in their own space so I can interact with this person. Uh, but now I'm going to manage the situation so I can go back to doing other things without allowing the dog to continue doing something I don't like uh, while I'm not there to redirect or, you know, again, incentivize that alternative behavior. So... I want to actually take that entire example where we were trying to play with distance and line of sight and the amount of distractions that we had 
to slowly and incrementally work a dog closer and closer to a person or a stranger or a family member or friend that they might be uncomfortable with. Uh, you'll notice that we didn't actually work up to interacting with that thing because depending on the situation, my goal may not necessarily be to force an interaction with that person, right? Uh, the dog doesn't need to be able to walk up and pet the plumber when the plumber comes in. What we need is for the dog to not bark and not be so uncomfortable that we see unwanted behaviors. Uh, and so depending on the situation, you know, I got to also keep in mind that the dog's needs and does the dog need to do that? And maybe the dog doesn't need to do that. We just need them to not do those things we don't like. Uh, so an important distinction is to not try and have unrealistic expectations uh, or push your dog outside their comfort zone to a place where they just may not be capable of going. Uh, and that's where, you know, having a professional come through and, and assess that dog and kind of go through that process with them is super valuable because they're just, it may not be something that, you know, you can do on your own. What's, what does this dog have the capacity for? We can see shy dogs open up and become super open dogs, uh, but we can also see shy, fearful dogs get to a place where they're comfortable around other dogs, but they never are going to really want to interact with those other dogs or those other people, right? Uh, and that entire process, you know, I want to think of people as, or those those two people, whether it was a stranger person or a familiar person, those are both things that I can easily switch out. Those are just variables, right? That same process we just went through with people, I can do the same thing with anything, anyone out there that seems to bring anxiety to the dog. So whether it's specific noises, specific people, dogs being near specific places specific um you know outdoor areas or getting close to the vet office or um, getting out near a car near cars all of those things all kind of fall into that same process where it may look a little different depending on what it is you're trying to distract the dog from or what or whether that thing is an active you know is it a person is it a dog or is it an animate object but the idea is that i'm slowly going to incrementally work the dog closer and closer to it starting at a distance where i know i can keep their focus away from it but while i know they are aware that that trigger is there and you know see how close we can get to the point where hey we can play with this sniffle mat right next to that scary car or that scary thing and it's not going to be too big of a deal we can walk away so that way we're not completely thrown off our behavior isn't so changed by that trigger in the future sounds are a blessing in that in a lot of cases whatever sound out in the world was throwing off our dog whether it's construction equipment or dogs barking doorbells um, any of those things that seem to elicit response from the dog out of uh, fear or anxiety or um, excitement, I can desensitize them to those things in constructive manufactured settings uh, in the house where using my phone and speakers, I can find, you know, YouTube videos with uh, examples of dogs barking, construction equipment, driving, air brake noises. Uh, any of those things so that you can actually practice. There's a lot of YouTube videos designed with that explicit purpose of being for dog training. Um, and the best part about doing it in this situation is that we can take that scary element of um, an outside environment and bring it inside the house where we can kind of piggyback on the comfort of our home environment 
and I can also change the volume of my speakers and my phone so that I can make that noise incrementally louder and louder to the point where we don't care about that noise. And now the rest of that process looks the same where while that noise is getting louder and louder off to the side and maybe I can still play with distance and that the speaker gets closer and closer, uh, but that is more or less a simulation of volume. I can now incentivize the dog to keep playing with their activity, keep playing with this toy, keep doing training with me and slowly desensitize them to those different noises, right? Uh, there's no reason why that noise needs to throw us off so much when we're out and about if I can make sure it's something that they're used to even just in the home environment. Now obviously that noise placed back in its natural environment whether it's a construction site um, that actually is full of construction noise you know there's some other elements that go into that in which case I may treat that as a physical place that I'm now doing that other process with where I'm getting incrementally closer and closer to it now that we've already checked the box of covering some of the scarier noises, right? And that's it for now. I'll be back with a follow-up for this episode tomorrow. Just remember that you can always find me at trickfortreattraining.com, on Instagram at trickfortreattraining, or on Facebook at facebook.com slash trickfortreattraining. All of those with the number four. You can find this podcast on Apple and Google Podcasts as well as Spotify. And if you like what you heard, hit the subscribe button, sign up for notifications, and leave me a rating as it goes a long way in helping me reach more people. And I always appreciate the feedback. Until you hear from me next time, I've been Stuart, you've been awesome, and thank you for listening.